Blog Talk Radio. You know, okay. so our so, guest today is author Ingrid Dean. She's a detective sergeant, forensic artist, and 20-year police veteran in the Michigan State Police. And she's here to share amazing stories that have changed the lives of many, including her own. You are listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Today, Sergeant Ingrid Dean will share stories from the front lines of law enforcement, which were shaped by angels and apparitions, dreams and intuition, signs, and unexplainable phenomena. She says by being open to the occasional gut instincts and or divine guidance, police officers are sometimes able to make life-saving decisions in the crucial moment. Ingrid has a Bachelor's of Science degree in art from Wayne State University. She is a professional artist, musician, and writer. She is also a state-licensed polygraph examiner and teaches the art of detecting truth and deception. Drawing upon her own knowledge and experience in different spiritual, psychological, and philosophical schools of thought, Ingrid attempts to share a fun, balanced, comprehensive perspective of law enforcement and the positive contributions they make. And don't be fooled, Ingrid has worked the trenches, chased felons, and wrecked cars, too. In fact, (laughs) she had her own near-death experience in the line of duty, She has put her fair share of felons in prison for life and simply chooses not to talk about that so much. Well, Ingrid is a pilot and loves to fly. Plus, she's an accomplished musician and studio artist. She loves to travel, do yoga, and to be service to others. Her most recent passion is treasure hunting with her underwater metal detector and teaching others how to do that as well. She's the author of Spirit of the Badge, which began as accumulating project for her master's degree in transpersonal psychology and related studies. And the project grew as much police officers began to share their extraordinary stories, resulting in informative, delightful collective of exceptional, heartwarming experiences. Recently, uh, Ingrid was with George Norrie on Coast to Coast, and wow, she has one packed full life, and it sounds like it's not only packed it's fun so you're the most delightful fun person that we've interviewed so thank you so much for having me it's my pleasure and um i i'm just delighted to be here today now when you were in art school did you uh while you were doing you were in the art school did you think about being in the police department i really didn't i had no idea that i was going to join the the police department until I was 28 years old, and um, you know I think most artists out there know that it's hard to have a a beginning career in art. And I thought if there was some way that I could blend it with an adventurous career, I would give it a good try, and that way I would have a wage and a salary, and then later on maybe I could do art solely. Um, but in my case, I, I became a trooper, went to um, went to our state police recruit school, and uh, they just opened, two years later, a forensic art program. And so I was able to integrate my art degree with police work. Wow. That was really right up your alley when they did that. So. Oh, it was fun. It was perfect. 
Well, now your new book, how did this book actually take form? And your book is called The Spirit of the Badge. And uh, it, tell us about it. That That's the first book that I created. The full title is Spirit of the Badge, 60 True Police Stories of Divine Guidance, Miracles, and Intuition. And it was an independently published book that I uh, used my master's degree uh, thesis for. Uh, so many people came up to me and said, Ingrid, why don't you write a book? And, you know, out of your your uh, master's dissertation. So I did, and I got amazing results. And in the course of um, speaking on, on radio and getting a little bit of media attention and such, a publisher uh, called me and said, we'd like to... Um, present you with a contract if you'd be interested in having your book republished. So now the new book is called True Police Stories of the Strange and Unexplained, and uh, you can get it through uh, Amazon.com, you can go to my website, or you can even go to the publisher themselves called Llewellyn Publishing, LLC. Well, when I was reading about your book, you said at first, when you first did the first book that came out, you didn't put names to the stories. And Good people, point. Yeah. Um, and they came up I to you and, and go ahead. Yeah, it, um, it was interesting. Uh, I didn't want to put the names of the officers with each story because I was just so protective of them. I thought, gosh, you know, when they share these kinds of stories from their heart and it involves unexplainable phenomena, intuitive abilities, things that are not normally talked about, I didn't want them receiving calls from people saying, I don't believe you, you're a nutcase, and that kind of a thing. So I listed all of the uh, contributing officers in the front of the book. Well, after the publisher sought me out and kind of redesigned the book, reorganized it somewhat, gave it a different cover, they asked if the officers would be willing to give me their names for each story and have it listed in the book with each story. And there was no problem. I, I went up to each officer and I asked them, you know, would you mind, you know, by any chance um, placing your name with the story? And they had absolutely no problem. And it just it kind of shocked me. I thought maybe they'd be a little shy, a little conservative, because we have a reputation. And and um, we like to maintain our reliability and credibility, and um, we're sometimes, you know, a little afraid because of the conservative nature of our job to to share such stories. But they were more than willing. Was there any feedback from the officers um, kind of letting you know what took place? They probably took your book in hand and was able to give it to others. And Was there any feedback on them having their story in the book? They loved it. There hasn't been. I haven't received one complaint, and you know, one one person even calling me and saying I'm a nutcase or you know I, you know I'm weird or whatever. I've had very positive responses to it, and I'm so glad because it really is a heart-oriented book, and the officers really present you know their experiences and, and their perceptions of each experience. So I, I felt really good about the whole project. Well, it's really it, it, exceptional moments that that people share with you, and so it, it's really exciting to be able to know that 
that police officers are just like human beings and everybody always, you know, has different opinions sometimes of police officers. So that's Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Are any of the stories your own? I mean, something that happened to you? Do you have a story in the book? Sure. There's several of them. Um, gosh, the one about the near-death experience um, comes to mind right now, and um, that was when I got into a chase. And uh, I was chasing a stolen vehicle, but I, I let's back up a little bit. I'm waiting at an intersection because a chase is in progress, going south on a main highway. And I was taught in recruit school that one method of trying to slow down a vehicle is to pull out in front, way ahead of them, so that the patrol car behind the vehicle and me in front can kind of box them in to slow them down. So I took the position of going in front, and so I'm waiting at this intersection, and I pull, as soon as I saw the lights a couple miles down the straightaway coming towards me, I pulled out in front. And uh, I, gosh, I must have gotten up to about 90 miles per hour. And um, it was a pickup truck that was stolen by three kids, which we didn't know at the time. But they were probably 15, 16, and 17. And so I was able to uh, slow them down slightly. I, I was still going over 80 miles per hour. And what I didn't expect is that they rammed me, meaning they took the front right their front right bumper hit my left rear bumper and so it sent me in a tailspin and i i think i went around three times and then um i you know turned upside down and landed between two trees one inch on each side and that in itself is a miracle but the the 30 seconds where i'm turning around and and turning upside down was like a huge flash before my eyes. You know, I started going backwards and backwards and backwards, and all of these visions and all of these people in my life were, you know, I was reflecting upon. And a lot of people say that's the beginnings of the Akashic Records. Even though I haven't, I never saw the light at the end of the tunnel, I was still going through that process of possibly dying. So um, I wrote that that particular story because it um, I, I think it just really woke me up. It it, it kind of gave me the message that you know there's something more I can contribute to this life. So um, that was there was it was a huge shift for me. So it's did called your intuition. Did your uh, intuition heighten from that experience? Um, I would say it got better. I was real gifted anyways. Um, I always say it was a gift from God, but I'm always receiving messages. I feel very connected to the whole, you know, to the creator, and um, I feel that um, I use it every day, and it's become such a natural uh, phenomena for me that when people ask me about it, sometimes it's hard to, you know, uh, figure out an example because I use it so much in my life. I, I feel it's a gift for all of us, and that police officers especially um, develop a certain ability to see and to feel and to to know things without quite understanding why. Well, I know I was uh, friends with a forensic 
artist, and he said the people could start to explain what you know when they when you're doing um, a profile of the person that you're uh, creating. He said it, the the picture would just come into his head. It was like he almost yeah. knew. And so I was going to ask you if that happened to you too. Oh yes, and I've done. I did. I got better and better once I really learned how to trust what the person's telling me. You know, the the victim or the witness who I'm interviewing as an artist, um, they try to tell you exactly what they see, but they don't always know the right words. And sometimes you have to really go with the flow, do the best you can to listen and trust what that person's saying, and then use it in conjunction with your own intuition, um, just like you described with the artist. If you can use both, then I think that you can be an exceptional forensic artist because I, I believe you need both. You need both. Well, you were been talking about during the day when you have these exceptional experiences. I, like for myself, sometimes in the middle of the night, I find myself working through problems in my dreams. Do you Absolutely. do that too? All the time. All the time. I, I think that... Um, Dreams are very misunderstood. Um, I I think they're a tool for all of us not only to um, heal ourselves, you know, by by examining the story and the symbols behind it, but I think they can be clairvoyant too. They're yes. amazing, and officers use it all the time, but they just don't admit it. <laughs> <laughs> like if they're working on a case, and they'll get. Uh the dream would come through in the middle of the night and give them the clue of the case? Does that happen? Exactly, exactly. There, There is one story in the book that I just um, love and admire the the female that, that talked about it. Because, again, dreams are a funny thing. I think they represent our feminine side, and not a lot of officers want to show that sometimes. But we have both. We've got feminine energy and masculine energy, every one of us, in varying degrees. So this this uh, lady, female officer, she was a, is still an active duty officer, um, had a very unusual dream that was only five hours before 9-11 happened. And she shares the theme of her dream, which was centered around a revolution of some kind. And she believes she is part of this uh, revolutionary group of people uh, in the dream, a leader of some sort, and that they're being bombed. And she runs into this building to the very top of the stairs with her group of people and realizes that there's no way to get out or to get away from the bombing that is occurring. So she further describes that there's smoke and fire in the dream and explains that everyone in her group um, went down to the floor to breathe. And she said it was the only dream that she ever had uh, in which death was inevitable and um, could hardly believe that she was still alive when she woke up. So then five hours later, 9-11 happens, and all those people died inside that building. And uh, she believed that in a dreamlike state that she had somehow uh, moved outside the confines of time and actually lived a few moments in the future. So she believed she was really there in her dream. And if you recall some of the um, things that have been said about 9-11, people did go to the ground when there was smoke and fire and they were feeling heat, you know, all those sad things that they had to go through. 
and she experienced a part of that. They couldn't go down. They couldn't go downstairs. So I just thought it was fascinating. Oh, yes. She's really tuned into the the mass dreaming, I guess you could, could call it. Yes, the collective consciousness is is what I call it. There's varying names, but I think collectively we certainly are interconnected and that um, we have that opportunity sometimes uh, to tune into that whole collective energy. Are there any other stories that you could share with us, um, Ingrid, that you think that would be uh, wonderful to share with our listeners? Oh, let's see. Um, There's this one... You know, I don't know if you're familiar with synchronicity. There's there's a, a whole chapter in both books that um, address signs, symbols, and synchronicity. And there's one beautiful story that was submitted by Tom Brosman of the Washington State Patrol, and he's an author himself. And he wrote the story, A Trooper's Debt on Christmas Day. And because it's so close to Christmas, I thought I would share it. Um, this Washington State Trooper explains about this one-of-a-kind ring that his father gave to him when he was very young. And he further explains how his father wanted to be a surgeon and how his mother wanted to be a Baptist minister. So they got into terrible arguments over it, and he shares that despite all of their arguing, he becomes the trooper he always wanted to be. So in his early days of trooping, he discusses handling a very, very a serious accident in which this woman was bleeding to death and her brachial artery was basically spurting with blood and her husband was unconscious and this little boy in the back seat unharmed starts praying I call to you in heaven and I know that you can hear me I do not ask for myself because I know you will take care of me I ask for my dad and my mother that you help her to live they need each other thank you and that was the prayer. And the trooper says he never forgot the prayer as the little boy is, you know, you know, he's the little boy's watching him as he's applying pressure to the wound and got blood all over his hands, but he remembered that prayer. Well, about 20-plus years later, the trooper is still on patrol and gets this dreadful call from a hospital. And his grandkid, um, basically the love of his life, um, who he talks about again and again, has been in this terrible accident. And he's told over the the telephone that she might not live. So he gets to the hospital. The prognosis is grim. He sits down in the waiting room. And then he suddenly just covers his face. You know, he's in this terrible grief. And he bends forward as, I mean, it's the worst nightmare of his life. He's so close to this little girl. And then after a few minutes, he hears the voices of two men who are walking by. And they lower their voices when they see the the trooper, and we're almost out the other door when one of the men stops in mid-sentence and says, it's him, it's him, the trooper with the ring. Well, this this man was a little boy in a car accident many years ago that made that statement when the trooper was saving his mother's life. And the man is now a Baptist minister at one of the largest Baptist churches in Spokane. And the other man, his brother, happened to be one of the finest surgeons in the state of Washington. And so the surgeon ends up operating, saving the trooper's grandchild while the Baptist minister sits next to him in prayer. And 
and he says the same prayer. It's just an adorable story, and it's just a fascinating, synchronistic story that um, has to be more than a coincidence. You know, what are the odds? Wow. (laughs) 20 years later. Yeah. It's a great Merry Christmas story. I know. That's a story that you would only think you'd see in a movie. I mean, it's just so incredible. It it almost sounds fiction, but it's just, it's not. It's a true experience. And, you know, synchronicity is kind of a difficult concept to explain sometimes, and it has its variations. Um, It's essentially... Carl Jung's theory that states that events widely separated in time and space cannot possibly come together by simple coincidence, um, that it must be guided by another power. And that's how I see this story, because of the the 20 years in between, again, what are the odds? So that's a synchronicity story. (laughs) Well, we have a lot of them in our lives, you know, as you're living, and and I think a lot of people ignore them. Yeah. But the more you're, you're open to it, you can see more and more happening in your own life. Exactly. If you're not open to it, you never see it. But for me, personally, it, it happens all the time. You know, you see one person and they know another person that, you know, they haven't seen in 10 years and they live somewhere and then all of a sudden you see that the same name comes up in two days you know, and then you get a telephone call that says, you know, I know that person too. It's just, it's it's amazing. <laughs> There's coincidences, and I think once you recognize the coincidence of it, then you start seeing the synchronicity of it. Ingrid, I question if you've, if, if at all, someone has suggested to you or have you thought about making your life story into a movie form? Oh, you are so sweet. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> I, I, well, I have, the book is there. I could see a ser- I could see a television series out of it. I mean, oh. now that we, yeah, that I hoped for um, some sort of a series that had police officers that attested to these sorts of experiences um, because. In my opinion, they're so credible and they're so reliable. And I think that they would have a great impression on the public if if there was something visual that people could see and listen to, a, a series, just like you said. I think that would be so cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when it, personally, when I've been involved with police officers, I can always tell that they just have... Maybe it's just from uh, experience, but they have a knowledge of what, what's happening in between the lines, so to speak. I I believe that, too. I believe that, too, and I think it's because we deal with so many threatening and um, serious situations where our lives are in danger or other people's lives are in danger that we just gradually, through experience, start developing this inner knowing and we start to see things that may not be verbal. It, it's it's more than just looking at a person's behavior, too. It, it's just like you said. It's it's reading between the lines of of what they say and in their actions. It's real interesting. Now, do you have any personal stories uh, that something that was really incredible happened while you were... Uh, 
uh, a forensic artist? Um, not me personally. There's there's one really great story in the book um, about a forensic artist. She's a female artist for the Michigan State Police, and um, she had to do a uh, facial skull reconstruction. Um, me personally, I've had so many pictures and done. They're all miracles to me. You know, the pictures, the the facial skull reconstructions, and I thought, um, I just thought it it would be interesting to have someone else share a, um, a a facial reconstruction story in the book, just so that people out there know that there's lots of artists like us out there. Um, there's several in California, Texas, and out your way as well. Um, but the one story in the book, just briefly, uh, by a, a female artist in the state police, and she had a skull that she had to um, to look at and to deal with, and um, there's a special method and technique to doing a reconstruction, and she worked on it as, as her job allowed her to. She did it you know, in between her her daily routine. And once it was all done, she thought, wow, you know, this is a nice-looking kid. He's got nice teeth. Um, there were still teeth in the skull. She she used her intuition to kind of feel out um, who this young man was. And um, she had all the intuitive things right. You know, when they... Um, when she shipped a picture of the skull reconstruction to, gosh, I believe it was, I, I'm not sure which police department it was. It was in eastern Michigan. Um, it, it it was just a, a wonderful reconstruction of somebody that was missing like 20 years ago. I, I believe it was in the middle 80s or, or late 80s. And um, the teeth played a big role, the shape of the face. Um, the intuition that she used for things like the nose and the mouth, which is all cartilage and skin. Some some of it's guesswork unless you're using your intuition. And her intuition was right on the spot. Great story. Um, yeah. So that's an example. Now, have you, as an artist for the police department, have you ever had to... Um do a painting uh, um, of somebody that would look that they're trying to capture that's maybe like 20 years older and what they would look like 20 years from the picture that you were looking at? Uh, Yes, I I have done several, and the names don't come to mind, but um, those are called age enhancements where... um, well, I think that's what you're referring to. Right. Um, uh-huh. Where, you know, you're looking for a person that's been missing for 20-plus years, and and maybe um, the only photo you have um, is is very, very old, then, yes, I, I'm trained to enhance that and to age progress it so that it looks like that person would look now. And I've had great success with that. And all of the artists in the in the state police... Um, all over the country we're we're usually trained by all the same instructors and people like Karen Taylor and Betty Gatliff and the FBI Academy Um, that's what we do and and we love it are you still doing that work now I retired last April 
and I'm in that transition period where I'm trying to decide if maybe I want to do some consulting work or maybe some more writing. So right now I've been very quiet. I haven't done anything recently, um, but I'm kind of enjoying the uh, pleasure of retirement um, until I decide exactly what I want to do. You know, life has just begun. When you grow up? (laughs) Exactly. What do I want to do when I grow up? Or what have I always wanted to do? So I've done a lot lot of reflection on that. Well, I'm going to use my intuition. I I think you should consult a television series on unusual stories oh. with the <laughs> bless your heart. Thank you. <laughs> Do you have any ideas? Let me know. <laughs> that would be that would be a, a special show, like you said. It would create um, people to think of the police policemen and firemen as um, different. You know, with the kind with the heart and loving what they're doing. I think that would be good. Exactly. You know, the the book, uh, True Police Stories of the Strange and Unexplained, it's really, it's such an honest assortment, you know, of exceptional incidents that um, that reflect our openness, as you're saying. You know, it reflects our conservatism, too, um, but that we care about people, most importantly, and it shows that um, we do have empathy and emotional intelligence, um, that we do care, and I think that people get misconceptions on television. You know, they really stereotype us as little tin soldiers that that don't have any power of discretion, and that's simply not true. Simply not true. Uh, we're human beings like everybody else. Well, do you see um, officers become hardened because of of so many criminals that they deal with, or um... they can, they can. You know, certainly, you know, not all of us, you know, are open to this book, for instance. You know, there's certainly, you know, we have our own group of hard-headed, you know, officers <laughs> that, you know, after years and years, they do get kind of uh, shaded, jaded would be a good word. Um, yeah. I but, could see how know, that could happen. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's one of the reasons I um, put my website up. Um, it's called spiritofthebadge.com, all one word, and it's really designed for the spiritual and, and emotional health of police officers. You know, I want them to see that there's uh, help out there, there's people that understand them, um, especially fellow police officers, and it's a way to connect and try to help the ones that are are a little bit hardened because they do exist. It's unfortunate, but they do. Now, did anyone... Oh, good. I was going to say, did anyone anyone surprise you? You thought maybe that they were a jaded or um, hardened type of person and they surprised you and came to you with a story? Yes. Yes. Um, There was one gentleman. I, I, I wouldn't say he's hardened now, but I think... Um, you know, he had his moments leading up to his incident. Um, he he was a member of what's called the emergency support team uh, for the Michigan State Police. And, you know, these men are very highly trained uh, in responding to barricaded gunmen. Um, they're extremely paramilitary. So they come across like regular soldiers, 
um, uh, like knights in shining armor. You know, they have sort of a hardness about them, but they're extremely passionate, you know, about their job. So this one officer um, is given the responsibility, and this is kind of a sad story but happy at the end, but he's given the responsibility of shooting this elderly gunman who was holding his wife hostage inside this house. Um, he's already shot her, and she's bleeding to death, and um, it, it ends up he's he's got Alzheimer's, so he's just he's not all there. So she's stuck in there, and she needs first aid. So two deputies have also been shot, and they're laying behind their cars. And, and this trooper is assigned to shoot the old man when he comes, you know, to the window of the door. There's like a little door, a little window in the door. And um, he is an excellent marksman. But the problem is that the old man is, again, suffering from Alzheimer's, and he shot all these people because of his condition. And so he knows that the old man isn't, responsible for his actions and he's he experiences a little bit of psychological trauma out of it and when he sees the man's face in the window um this old man just looks like anyone's grandpa you know um so at, at first he doesn't even shoot and he says to his partner oh he said my my rifle scope fogged up so he's struggling and he struggles with his assignment because of his empathy you know because of his heart and when people say officers are insensitive and don't care, they have no idea what many of us go through. So he starts to pray to God uh, emphatically that somehow he doesn't kill the man when he shoots, and he aims his gun and he shoots him as he's supposed to. And the old man had never flinched. You never saw him flinch in the window. The bullet hole in the door was in the exact alignment of his head. I mean, the officer did not shank the shot. He's got all these witnesses who saw him, and he makes a perfect shot. But in answer to his prayer, the bullet never goes into the man's head, but into his left shoulder, and it's just the oddest phenomena. He lives. He lives. And it doesn't make any sense to anyone at the scene, including the crime scene, um, who takes measurements, and there's no way to explain how the bullet went through the top of the door, and then moved to the man's shoulder. It was right in line where it was supposed to go. So um, it's amazing. You know, everybody lived in the incident, including the old man. You know, the trooper is tremendously relieved. But this incident softened him. You know, in answer to your question, you know, mm -hmm. at one, he, he, he's talked to me about it several times. He was He was so hardened, like you say, up until that incident where he finally realized, you know, I, there's something bigger than me out there. You know, he says God moved the bullet, you know, that, and he's emphatic about it. And that miracle in itself changed him. Wow. You know, I hear you talk, and I'm, I'm going, I wonder if you've, if you've taken any kind of time to talk with children at teen schools, younger schools, you know, um, uh, you know, high schools and preschools. You know, a great question. I haven't yet, but I've, the thoughts come to mind. You know, I thought I, I want to make a difference, and I was thinking 
I have um, a number of my first book um, left uh, in the printing, in the uh, second printing that I had done. And I was thinking about giving those books to the children and possibly just going in and speaking um, to some classes just to give them hope because most of your children that come from real poor families or, um, you know, uh, families that are challenged with, you know, violence and domestic assault and that kind of thing, those kids do not like the police because all they see is the police coming to their house and taking away their mommy or daddy or taking them away. And so those kinds of children have come to mind where I could go to maybe the special schools and and work with them. Well, I was just thinking by you doing that, you know, you give a whole new impression. You yourself would give a new impression not only maybe – would maybe some of them want to become police officers to support a better community, you know, a lifestyle for when they grow up or helping helping this to happen for others. But maybe it would you know, also allow them to see that there's another side to the police officers that enter their area and, um, you know, helping sure. make a difference. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, it's a great idea. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's a great idea, and um, I'm going to give it some more thought. I feel like I have um, another 50 years to go, <laughs> and I <laughs> love to make it a quality second half of my life, you know? Well, you most certainly have so many activities. I'm sure you will because you're, you're a pilot. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Wow, I mean... And you it's do treasure hunting? Fun. Yeah. Yes. It's called having fun. You know, if that was another message that I could kind of share with people is to not be afraid to, to try things. I mean, if, if you never try it, then later on you're going to dread never trying it. You know, why do it now, and, and you're never too old for it. You know, um, I just spoke with a lady who's uh, 72 years old, and um, she's uh, went to this um, vegetarian retreat center with me, and I'm thinking about being an intern at this center. Um, I've never been vegetarian before, but um, I'm I'm already starting to feel so much better without meat. And so um, we were talking, and I said, I, I think I might like to be an intern for two or three months and learn how to cook raw food and live food um, not that I'm going to necessarily turn completely vegetarian, but I'd love to know how to cook it. And um, she said, well, I wanted to volunteer. And I said, well, why don't you be an intern? You know, it's never too late for that because if you go away with all of this great information, you, you get your raw one and two certifications and you can teach other people who have maybe had problems with dieting and, you know, the roller coaster thing that a lot of women go through, especially in their 40s and 50s, it, you know, our metabolism slows down. And um, I was just so elated when she said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be an intern and I'll do it at the same time that you're going to do it. And I was just so pleased because it's never too late. And that's not old. Old is maybe getting towards 100 years old. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Yeah, and uh, you do treasure hunting. Uh, in the introduction, I saw that. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? You, I bet you oh. use your intuition in that one. I do, and I love it. 
that, you know, I tell everybody that has a slight gambling problem, you know, um, I learned this in police work. Um, all the gamblers that I talked to that maybe got in trouble and, you know, ran out of money and because of their gambling addiction, I said, buy yourselves a metal detector. I mean, seriously, when you go out there, use your intuition. You can go in the water and on the beaches and you can find incredible treasures that are very valuable. And nowadays, gold is so high right now. It's a great time to to metal detect with with a detector. You know, it'll cost you a couple hundred dollars and every day you can go out, you can go under the big giant trees and look for for old coins that may have been dropped by soldiers sitting under the trees during wartime. Um I had just the most marvelous experience with a friend of mine up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, that's known as Copper Country. And um, we were metal detecting, just looking for old fishing lures. Um, we had our waders on, and uh, we're just in one of the, the inland lakes up there. And we pulled up a, gosh, about 10 inches long, a, a copper spearhead. And when we pulled it up, it wasn't even oxidized. Uh, I think that's the right word. There was no corrosion on it. It was bright gold. And as soon as you felt it, we we knew it was old, that it had to be very old. We found a few more things like a needle without a hole in it that um, people way, way back would have darned leather and, and sewn. Um, we found some copper awls. And we took those items to Michigan Tech University and had an archaeologist look at those. And as soon as we handed her that spearhead, her knees buckled. Um, she said, where did you get this? And I said, well, we got it from an inland lake. We were just looking for old fishing lures with our metal detector. And she says, this is 5,000 years old. Five, that's before Christ was born. That's how old that is. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I thought, wow, I love this metal detecting stuff. <laughs> so I was addicted ever since, you know. Oh, but, yeah, I bet. I, oh, it was incredible. I found rings and bracelets and coins, and um, I have quite a collection of gold rings and diamond rings. I'm still looking for my, you know, uh, lost wedding ring, maybe a $50,000 ring. <laughs> be nice to find. <laughs> But, you know, if they have names on it, if there's names on the jewelry, I track down the person. You know, I returned a beautiful ring to someone that lost it 30 years ago, and they were just tears in their eyes. They were they just were beside themselves that somebody would have found their ring in the middle of Bud Lake, you know, and would Whoa. return it. Yeah. So there's a real joy if you find jewelry that belongs to someone. And now with the Internet, you can go right on there and um, do your own detective work and find that person. Did the person actually lose the ring in the lake? Did, did yep. they tell you how they lost it? Oh, wow. Yep, they were young teenagers and, and partying, and the, the ring slipped off because in northern Michigan, the you know, the lakes have cold water for the most part, and I believe it was in the fall, and rings fall off easily because your body basically shrinks when it hits cold water. 
so her ring slipped right off. She knew where she lost it, but it was deep, and um, she obviously never found it. And um, with me, because I do a little scuba diving, um, I had diving gear and was just um, scoping out the bottom, and I found it. Oh, no, this is going to be a creepy question, but have, has has bodies ever been found because somebody had a uh, a metal detector and they the body had like a ring on it or Ooh, or Halloween. gold in their teeth? That's a Halloween <laughs> Halloween question. Um, I, I you know I don't know, but I know fortunately I haven't found any dead bodies with rings, but it would work. You know what? Yeah, it I would, would think work. gold in their yeah. teeth or. Yeah. Yeah, if there was somebody that died that had um metal on them and I was scoping the bottom of a lake or a river, it's quite likely that you could find a person that will because the metal's yeah. still there and they might be a corpse, but um that's an interesting question, but it that is certainly <laughs> possible. I always wanted to find But it's never happened though. <laughs> not that I know of. But if you find out that it has, let me know. <laughs> that'd be another, that'd be another story. <laughs> yeah, you should write. You should have. Do you have other officers? I mean, since the book is written, have you had other officers uh, share stories with you that hasn't been written yet? Um, in fact, the new book, uh, True Police Stories, that just released uh, in September, and it does have. 25 new stories in it um, that re- requested by the publisher. So it is technically a different book than Spirit of the Batch, the first book. Um, the second book does have new stories in it. And then as a result of being on stations like yours and Coast to Coast AM and other um, national radio stations, I've gotten probably 50 new stories now. For another yeah. book, uh-huh. wow! Yeah, and I would love, well, I would love to have more. You know, who's ever listening out there and um, uh, listens to our, our talk today, um, they can go to my website, Spirit of the Badge, and um, you know, by all means, um, share your story. I would love to share it, and I'm willing to give out lots of free books. You know, in replace of a good story, and um, I'll never embarrass you. You know, if you're a police officer, um, any first responder or soldier, military soldier, if you have a paranormal story or a story of intuition or or spiritual uh, miracle, um, I would love to share it. And, um, you know, I go through the whole legal process. I make sure that everybody's protected. Now, have you gotten any stories from... um uh, the officers that deal with animals, like SPCA or um, SP, what what what's that? Uh, uh, well, you know, well, like um, our dog got attacked um, uh, several weeks ago, and an officer came out to take the report. So, have you ever had any stories coming from the uh, officers that work with animals? Oh, not yet, but I would love them. Because I am a dog and cat freak. I mean, I just love animals. So if there are any um, animal control officers out there that would give me some stories, that could be a whole new chapter, you know, a beautiful chapter in the next book. Um, I believe animals are here to help us, 
so that we can learn. And there's just some amazing stories out there that um, I haven't been successful getting yet. Um, Stories like where a dog is left in Florida and, you know, the family can't find it, and so they drive all the way back up to Michigan, and then somehow in the course of two to three months that dog shows up at their doorstep. You know, those stories amaze me. You know, what's the connection? Yeah. Oh, I I will share this story really fast with you. It was on our local news, and uh, uh, this family, they lost their son in Afghanistan, but they found out that he had taken a a puppy in when he was over there. So they requested that the dog could be sent to them. And so the dog dog was sent to them, and uh, the uh, local news came out and took a picture of the dog. And in the picture, there's this, like, golden glow coming over the dog from the sky. And and so the the family thought, the news reporter said, well, the family thought that there was their son watching over the dog. Yeah. So I thought that was a beautiful story. That's beautiful. I, I love stories like that. And um, the animal control officers could... Please contact me, <laughs> spiritofthebadge.com. I would love to have stories like that in the next book. You know, that's something I just, that I haven't covered yet. Yeah, I think that that is something that's on its way. I kind of get a real big um, charge with that on the other end of the phone here. So yeah. that would be something oh, really special for you to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. good. Yeah, that could be one whole chapter. It would be nice if it was a whole book. I just yeah. Oh, yeah. animal stories. Absolutely, yeah. a whole book. You <laughs> bet. Uh, well, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't, um, you know, thought about to, to share? Gosh, um, the chapters in the book, um, just to give an idea to listeners, um, we cover angels and divine intervention, intuition, dreams, um, ghostly apparitions and haunted effects, uh, karma, twists of fate, um, the weird and freaky, uh, synchronicity, which we talked about, uh, UFOs, and unexplainable phenomena. And then, of course, um, even most importantly, is the police heart. There's a whole chapter on very, um, very emotional, wonderful stories that really show that side of the officer, the police heart that's never shared on television. Um, Really, um, most people don't see that side of us. And listeners can go to uh, 1-800-BOOK-LOG for the first book, which is Spirit of the Badge, 60 True Police Stories of Divine Guidance, Miracles, and Intuition. Or they could go to my website, spiritofthebadge.com, Or they can order the second book, most recent book with 25 new stories in it called True Police Stories of the Strange and Unexplained. And they can get it right on Amazon.com. Both books, actually, can be uh, obtained on Amazon. So if uh, there's an officer of the law or a fireman or anyone out there that has a story, they can just write you at the... Spirit of the Badge. Spirit of the Badge. Spiritofthebadge.com. And I will answer right away. I'm an email nut, and um, I'll, um, I'll, I'll call them right back. 
write them right back. Wow. Well, it sounds like a wonderful book to be able even to share with others at Christmas time, just uplifting uplifting every area in one's life, knowing that everybody has this humongous heart that um that we might not have known about. Yeah, and and police officers are probably the most unlikely group of people to really openly discuss stuff like this. You know, anything that's labeled spiritual, paranormal, or metaphysical, um, we're just a very fact-oriented people. So um, these officers have, you know, really taken a step out, you know, in their trust in themselves and of God, and um, they have something to share. And I, I think people would, would really enjoy the stories because they're so different. Well, I I bet there's a third book coming soon because if every you know if you're getting all these stories coming in, I hope so. The more the better, and um, I don't have quite enough. You know, I usually um, I, I I don't have enough to start a book until I really get about a hundred stories or so, and then I read through them and edit them. And again, uh, officers out there can totally trust me. Um, everything's done in a legal fashion, and whether you're active duty, retired, um, or even if you know a story about a police officer that's um, similar with this genre, um, contact me, spiritofthebadge.com. Um, I'd love to hear from you. So you have a chapter on UFOs. <laughs> I was going to oh, ask yeah. that. Oh, oh, so yeah. there are officers that admit that they've seen UFOs? Yes. In fact, there's one story in the uh, both both books have it. Um, you know, the officer actually videotaped it, and it doesn't look military to me. Let me just say that. It's a round disc that was turning. It was hovering. It started in a real low position, and then it got higher and higher, and when he looked right under it, it looked like honeycomb cereal. You know, the lights were all um, mixed up. Um, it, it almost looked holographic, but it wasn't. It was real steel. You know, it was. It reminded me of Lost in Space. You know, the flying saucer they had there, how mm-hmm. silver it was. It was round. And um, it's a story called Colors Never Seen Before. And um, I would love to receive more UFO stories because they are out there and um, there isn't much explanation for it. You know, there's a lot of UFO fans that say that, you know, they believe in them, but a lot of other people don't. And um, they're out there. And if officers are saying, we see them too, then there's something to it. And it makes you wonder if there's some, you know, government conspiracy or something going on you know, that's covering it up because um, uh, they're amazing stories and and if there's an officer out there that has one, I'd I'd love to have it and hear from them. Well, did you get any stories from Arizona? Because they have large sightings in Arizona. You know, I heard about that and I have not. You know, I would love to hear from, you know, some of the officers like around the Red Rocks, you know, and Sedona and... um, um, hear what they have to say. Um, if you're afraid to talk to me, don't be, because I would never print anything without the officer's signature. 
Um, even if I just connect with you, I'd be so happy. Um, there's officers, you know, that, that may be listening or, um, you know, may be hearing me, not on just this radio show, but, you know, on other radio shows that haven't called me or haven't contacted me. And I know that it's just fear of exposure. And um, many of these stories, um, you can you can go anonymous. There's um, there's a few stories in each of my books that we just put anonymous so that nobody knows who you are. Okay, let's give out your website. We're we're talking with Ingrid Dean. Um, she is the author and the d- detective sergeant um, that has written a retired book. Retired now. <laughs> retired. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Retired. And um, boy, she really is. She's wonderful books, and the books are um, Spirit of the Badge, and the other one is True Police Stories. And of they the can Strange be and Unexplained. Of the it's strange the full title, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. True Police Stories of the Strange and Unexplained. Okay. Um, so is there, uh, again, the website is spiritofthebadge.com, and people can connect with her and ask her questions, and she'll talk with you. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us today because it has really been an interesting interview. Oh, my pleasure anytime. Um, your show is wonderful. I did. I went to the website and checked you out, and um, you have a great message. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Ingrid. Well, thank you. Blessings to you. Blessings to you, too. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.